Chapter Six of Alice of Old Vincennes by Maurice Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six, a fencing bout. A few days after Helm's arrival, Monsieur Roussillon returned to Vincennes, and if he was sorely touched in his amour propre by seeing his suddenly acquired military rank and title drop away, he did not let it be known to his fellow citizens he promptly called upon the new commander and made acquaintance with lieutenant fitzhugh beverley who just then was superintending the work of cleaning up an old cannon in the fort and mending some breaks in the stockade helm formed a great liking for the big frenchman whose breezy freedom of manner and expansive good humour struck him favourably from the beginning Monsieur roussillon's ability to speak english with considerable ease helped the friendship along no doubt at all events their first interview ended up with a hearty show of good fellowship and as time passed they became almost inseparable companions during m roussillon's periods of rest from his trading excursions among the indians they played cards and brewed hot drinks over which they told marvellous stories the latest one invariably surpassing all its predecessors helm had an eye to business and turned m roussillon's knowledge of the indians to valuable account so that he soon had very pleasant relations with most of the tribes within reach of his agents this gave a feeling of great security to the people of vincennes they pursued their narrow agricultural activities with excellent results and redoubled those social gaieties which even in hut and cabin under all the adverse conditions of extreme frontier life were dear to the volatile and genial french temperament lieutenant beverley found much to interest him in the quaint town but the piece de resistance was uncle jason who proved to be both fascinating and unmanageable a hard nut to crack yet possessing a kernel absolutely original in flavour beverley visited him one evening in his hut it might be better called den a curiously built thing with walls of vertical poles set in a quadrangular trench dug in the ground and roofed with grass inside and out it was plastered with clay and the floor of dried mud was as smooth and hard as concrete paving in one end there was a wide fireplace grimy with soot in the other a mere peephole for a window a wooden bench a bed of skins and two or three stools were barely visible in the gloom in the doorway oncle jason sat whittling a slender billet of hickory into a ramrod for his long flint american rifle maybe ye know simon kenton said the old man after he and beverley had conversed for a while seeing that you are from kentucky eh yes i do know him well he's a warm personal friend of mine said beverley with quick interest for it surprised him that oncle jason should know anything about kenton do you know him monsieur jason oncle jason winked conceitedly and sighted along his rudimentary ramrod to see if it was straight then puckering his lips as if on the point of whistling made an affirmative noise quite impossible to spell well i'm glad you are acquainted with kenton said beverley where did you and he come together oncle jason chuckled reminiscently and scratched the skinless secretized spot where his scalp had once flourished oh several places he answered you see that hair hanging there on the wall he pointed at a dry wisp dangling under a peg in a log barely visible by the bad light well that's my scalp <laughs> he snickered as if the fact were a most enjoyable joke simon kenton can tell ye about that little affair the indians thought i was dead and they took my hair but i wasn't dead i was just a givin em a possum act 
when they was gone i got up from where i was laying and trotted off my head was sore and ventre bleu but i was mad <laughs> all this time he spoke in french and the english but poorly paraphrases his odd turns of expression his grimaces and grunts cannot even be hinted it was a long story as beverly received it told scrappily but with a certain rude art in the end oncle jason said with unctuous self-satisfaction accidents will happen i got my chance at that damned indian who skinned my head and i just took a bead on him with my old rifle i can't shoot much never could but i happened to hit him square in the left eye what i shot at and it was a hundred yards down he tumbles and i runs to him and finds my same old scalp hanging to his belt well i lifted off his hair with my knife and untied mine from the belt and then i had both scalps <laughs> you ask simon Quentin when you see him he was along at the same time and they made him run the gauntlet and pretty nigh beat the life out of him ventre bleu beverly now recollected hearing kenton tell the same grim story by a camp-fire in the hills of kentucky somehow it had caught a new spirit in the french rendering which linked it with the old tales of adventure that he had read in his boyhood and it suddenly endeared uncle jason to him the rough old scrap of a man and the powerful youth chatted together until sundown smoking their pipes each feeling for what was best in the other half aware that in the future they would be tested together in the fire of wild adventure every man is more or less a prophet at certain points in his life twilight and moonlight were blending softly when beverly on his way back to the fort departing from a direct course went along the riverside southward to have a few moments of reflective strolling within reach of the water's pleasant murmur and the town's indefinite evening stir rich sweetness the gift of early autumn was on the air blowing softly out of a lilac west and singing in the willow fringe that hung here and there over the bank on the farther side of the river's wide flow swollen by recent heavy rains beverly saw a pirogue in one end of which a dark figure swayed to the strokes of a paddle the slender and shallow little craft was bobbing on the choppy waves and taking a zigzag course among floating logs and masses of lighter driftwood while making slow but certain headway toward the hither bank beverly took a bit of punk and a flint and steel from his pocket relit his pipe and stood watching the skilful boatman conduct his somewhat dangerous voyage diagonally against the rolling current it was a shifting hide-and-seek scene its features appearing and disappearing with the action of the waves and the doubtful light reflected from fading clouds and sky now and again the man stood up in his skittish pirogue balancing himself with care to use a short pole in shoving driftwood out of his way and more than once he looked to beverly as if he had plunged headlong into the dark water the spot as nearly as it can be fixed was about two hundred yards below where the public road bridge at present spans the wabash the bluff was then far different from what it is now steeper and higher with less silt and sand between it and the water's edge indeed swollen as the current was a man could stand on the top of the bank and easily leap into the deep water at a point near the middle of the river a great mass of drift logs and sand had long ago formed a barrier which split the stream so that one current came heavily shoreward on the side next the town and swashed with its muddy foam making a swirl and eddy just below where beverly stood 
the pirogue rounded the upper angle of this obstruction not without difficulty to its crew of one and swung into the rapid shoreward rush as was evidently planned for by the steersman who now paddled against the tide with all his might to keep from being borne too far downstream for a safe landing-place beverly stood at ease idly and half dreamily looking on when suddenly something caused a catastrophe which for a moment he did not comprehend in fact the man in the pirogue came to grief as a man in a pirogue is very apt to do and fairly somersaulted overboard into the water nothing serious would have threatened for the man could swim like an otter had not a floating half-submerged lock thrust up some short stiff stumps of boughs upon the points of which the man struck heavily and was not only hurt but had his clothes impaled securely by one of the ugly spears so that he hung in a helpless position while the water's motion alternately lifted and submerged him his arms beating about wildly when beverly heard a strangling cry for help he pulled himself promptly together flung off his coat as if by a single motion and leaped down the bank into the water he was a swimmer whose strokes counted for all that prodigious strength and excellent training could afford he rushed through the water with long sweeps making a semicircle rounding against the current so as to swing down upon the drowning man less than a half hour later a rumour by some means spread throughout the town that father beret and lieutenant beverley were drowned in the wabash but when a crowd gathered to verify the terrible news it turned out to be untrue gaspard roussillon had once more distinguished himself by an exhibition of heroic nerve and muscle ventre bleu quel homme exclaimed oncle jason when told that m roussillon had come up the bank of the wabash with lieutenant beverley under one arm and father beret under the other both men apparently dead bring them to my house immediately m roussillon ordered as soon as they were restored to consciousness and he shook himself as a big wet animal sometimes does covering everybody near him with muddy water then he led the way with melodramatic strides in justice to historical accuracy there must be a trifling reform of what appeared on the face of things to be grandly true gaspard roussillon actually dragged father beret and lieutenant beverley one at a time out of the eddy water and up the steep river bank that was truly a great feat but the hero never explained when men arrived he was standing between the collapsed forms panting and dripping doubtless he looked just as if he had dropped them from under his arms and why shouldn't he have the benefit of a great implication i've saved them both he roared from which of course the ready creole imagination inferred the extreme of possible heroic performance bring them to my house immediately and it was accordingly done the procession headed by m roussillon moved noisily for the french tongue must shake off what comes to it on the thrill of every exciting moment the only silent frenchman is a dead one father beret was not only well-nigh drowned but seriously hurt he lay for a week on a bed in m roussillon's house before he could sit up alice hung over him night and day scarcely sleeping or eating until he was past all danger as for beverley he shook off all the effects of his struggle in a little while next day he was out as well and strong as ever busy with the affairs of his office nor was he less happy on account of what the little adventure had cast into his experience it is good to feel that one has done an unselfish deed and no young man's heart repels the freshness of what comes to him when a beautiful girl first enters his life naturally enough alice had some thoughts of beverley while she was so attentively caring for father beret she had never before seen a man like him nor had she read of one 
compared with rené de ronville the best youth of her acquaintance he was in every way superior this was too evident for analysis but referred to the romantic standard taken out of the novels she had read he somehow failed and yet he loomed bravely in her vision not exactly a knight of the class she had most admired still unquestionably a hero of large proportions beverly stepped in for a few minutes every day to see father beret involuntarily lengthening his visit by a sliding ratio as he became better acquainted he began to enjoy the priest's conversation with its sly worldly wisdom cropping up through fervid religious sentiments and quaint humour alice must have interested him more than he was fully aware of for his eyes followed her as she came and went with a curious criticism of her half-savage costume and her springy dryad-like suppleness which reminded him of the shyest and gracefulest wild birds and yet a touch of refinement the subtlest and best showed in all her ways he studied her as he would have studied a strange showy and originally fragrant flower or a bird of oddly attractive plumage while she said little to him or to any one else in his presence he became aware of the wilfulness and joyous lightness which played on her nature's changeable surface he wondered at her influence over father beret whom she controlled apparently without effort but in due time he began to feel a deeper character a broader intelligence behind her superficial sauvagerie and he found that she really had no mean smattering of books in the lighter vein a little thing happened which further opened his eyes and increased the interest that her beauty and elementary charm of style aroused in him gradually apace with their advancing acquaintanceship father beret had got well and returned to his hut and his round of spiritual duties but beverly came to roussillon place every day all the same for a wonder madame roussillon liked him and at most times held the scolding side of her tongue when he was present jean too made friendly advances whenever opportunity afforded of course alice gave him just the frank cordiality of hospitable welcome demanded by frontier conditions she scarcely knew whether she liked him or not but he had a treasury of information from which he was enriching her with liberal carelessness day by day the hungriest part of her mind was being sumptuously banqueted at his expense mere intellectual greediness drew her to him naturally they soon threw off such troubling formalities as at first rose between them and began to disclose to each other their true characteristics alice found in beverly a large target for the missiles of her clever and tantalizing perversity he in turn practised a native dignity and an acquired superiority of manner to excellent effect it was a meeting of greek with greek in a new arcadia to him here was diana strong strange simple even crude almost to naturalness yet admirably pure in spirit and imbued with highly womanly aspirations to her beverly represented the great outside area of life he came to her from wonderland beyond the wide circle of houseless woods and prairies he represented gorgeous cities teeming parks of fashion boulevards salons halls of social splendour the theatre the world of woman's dreams now there is an antagonism vague yet powerful generated between natures thus cast together from the opposite poles of experience and education an antagonism practically equivalent to the most vigorous attraction what one knows the other is but half aware of neither knowledge nor ignorance being mutual there is a scintillation of exchange from opposing vantage grounds followed by harmless snaps of thunder culture and refinement take on airs 
it is the deepest artificial instinct of enlightenment to pose in the presence of naturalness and there is a certain style of ignorance which attitudinizes before the gate of knowledge the return to nature has always been the dream of the conventionalized soul while the simple arcadian is forever longing for the maddening honey of sophistication innate jealousies strike together like flint and steel dashing off sparks by which nearly everything that life can warm its core withal is kindled and kept burning what i envy in my friend i store for my best use i thrust and parry not to kill but to learn my adversary's superior feints and guards and this hint of sword-play leads back to what so greatly surprised and puzzled beverly one day when he chanced to be examining the pair of colish mouths on the wall he took one down and handling it with the indescribable facility possible to none save a practical swordsman remarked there's a world of fascination in these things i like nothing better than about at fencing does your father practise the art i have no father no mother she quickly said but good papa roussillon does like a little exercise with the colichemarde well i'm glad to hear it i shall ask to teach him a trick or two beverly responded in the lightest mood when will he return from the woods i can't tell you he's very irregular in such matters she said then with a smile half banter and half challenge she added if you are really dying for some exercise you shall not have to wait for him to come home i assure you monsieur beverly oh it's monsieur de ronville perhaps that you will offer up as a victim to my skill and address he slyly returned for he was suspecting that a love affair in some stage of progress lay between her and rené she blushed violently but quickly overcoming a combined rush of surprise and anger added with an emphasis as charming as it was unexpected i myself am perhaps swordsman enough to satisfy the impudence and vanity of monsieur beverly lieutenant in the american army pardon me mademoiselle forgive me i beg of you he exclaimed earnestly modulating his voice to sincerest beseechment i really did not mean to be impudent nor her vivacity cleared with a merry laugh no apologies i command you she interposed we will have them after i have taught you a fencing lesson from a shelf she drew down a pair of foils and presenting the hilts bade him take his choice there isn't any difference between them that i know of she said and then added archly but you will feel better at last when all is over and the sting of defeat tingles through you if you are conscious of having used every sensible precaution he looked straight into her eyes trying to catch what was in her mind but there was a bewildering glamour playing across those grey opal-tinted wells of mystery from which he could draw only a mischievous smile glint direct daring irresistible well he said taking one of the foils what do you really mean is it a challenge without room for honourable retreat the time for parley is past she replied follow me to the battleground she led the way to a pleasant little court in the rear of the cabin's yard a space between two wings and a vine-covered trellis beyond which lay a well-kept vineyard and vegetable garden here she turned about and faced him poising her foil with a fine grace are you ready she inquired he tried again to force a way into the depths of her eyes with his but he might as well have attacked the sun so he stood in a confusion of not very well-defined feelings undecided hesitating half expecting that there would be some laughable turn to end the affair 
are you afraid monsieur beverley she demanded after a short waiting in silence he laughed now and whipped the air with his foil you certainly are not in earnest he said interrogatively do you really mean that you want a fence with me if you think because i'm only a girl you can easily beat me try it she tauntingly replied making a level thrust toward his breast quick as a flash he parried and then a merry clinking and twinkling of steel blades kept time to their swift movements instantly by the sure sense which is half sight half feeling the sense that guides the expert fencer's hand and wrist beverly knew that he had probably more than his match and in ten seconds his attack was met by a time thrust in opposition which touched him sharply alice sprang far back lowered her point and laughed je vous salue monsieur beverly she cried with childlike show of delight did you feel the button yes i felt it he said with frank acknowledgment in his voice it was cleverly done now give me a chance to redeem myself he began more carefully and found that she too was on her best mettle but it was a short bout as before alice seemed to give him an easy opening and he accepted it with a thrust then something happened that he did not understand the point of his foil was somehow caught under his opponent's hilt-guard while her blade seemed to twist around his at the same time there was a ring and a jerk the like of which he had never felt before and he was disarmed his wrist and fingers aching with the wrench they had received of course the thing was not new he had been disarmed before but her trick of doing it was quite a mystery to him altogether different from any that he had ever seen vous me pardonnerez monsieur she mockingly exclaimed picking up his weapon and offering the hilt to him here is your sword keep it he said folding his arms and trying to look unconcerned you have captured it fairly i am at your mercy be kind to me madame Rossillon and jean the hunchback hearing the racket of the foils had come out to see and were standing agape you ought to be ashamed alice said the dame in scolding approval of what she had done girls do not fence with gentlemen this girl does said alice and with extreme disaster to this gentleman said beverley laughing in a tone of discomfiture and resignation ah monsieur there's nothing but disaster where she goes complained madame roussillon she is a destroyer of everything only yesterday she dropped my pink bowl and broke it the only one i had and just to think said beverley what would have been the condition of my heart had we been using rapiers instead of leather-buttoned foils she would have spitted it through the very centre like enough replied the dame indifferently she wouldn't wince either not she alice ran into the house with the foils and beverley followed we must try it over again some day soon he said i find that you can show me a few points where did you learn to fence so admirably is monsieur roussillon your master indeed he isn't she quickly replied he is but a bungling swordsman my master but i am not at liberty to tell you who has taught me the little i know well whoever he is i should be glad to have lessons from him but you'll never get them why because a woman's ultimatum as good as a man's she bridled prettily and sometimes better at the foils for example vous comprenez n'est-ce pas he laughed heartily yes your point reaches me he said 
but sperat et in suave victus gladiator arena as the old latin poet wisely remarks the quotation was meant to tease her yes montaigne translated that or something in his book she commented with prompt erudition i understand it beverly looked amazed what do you know about montaigne he demanded with a blunt brevity amounting to something like gruffness sh monsieur not too loud she softly protested looking around to see that neither madame roussillon nor jeanne had followed them into the main room it is not permitted that i read the old book but they do not hide it from me because they think i can't make out its dreadful spelling she smiled so that her cheeks drew their dimples deep into the delicately tinted pink and brown where wind and sun and wholesome exercise had set the seal of absolute help and took from a niche in the logs of the wall a stained and dog-eared volume he looked and it was indeed the old saint and sinner montaigne involuntarily he ran his eyes over the girl from head to foot comparing her show of knowledge with the outward badges of abject rusticity and even wildness with which she was covered well he said you are a mystery you think it's surprising that i can read a book frankly i can't understand half of this one i read it because well just because they want me to read about nothing but sickly old saints and woebegone penitents i like something lively what do i care for all that uninteresting religious stuff montaigne is decidedly lively in spots beverly remarked i shouldn't think a girl i shouldn't think you'd particularly enjoy his humours i don't care for the book at all she said flushing quickly only i seem to learn about the world from it sometimes it seems as if it lifted me up high above all this wild lonely and tiresome country so that i can see far off where things are different and beautiful it is the same with the novels and they don't permit me to read them either but all the same i do when beverly taking his leave passed through the gate at roussillon place he met rené de ronville going in it was a notable coincidence that each young man felt something troublesome rise in his throat as he looked into the other's eyes a week of dreamy autumn weather came on during which beverly managed to be with alice a great deal mostly sitting on the roussillon gallery where the fading vine leaves made fairy whispering and where the tempered breeze blew deliciously cool from over the distant multicolored woods the men of vincennes were gathering their indian corn early to dry it on the cob for grating into winter meal many women made wine from the native grapes and from the sweeter and richer fruit of imported vines madame roussillon and alice stained their hands a deep purple during the pressing season and beverly found himself engaged in helping them handle the juicy crop while around the overflowing earthen pots the wild bees wasps and hornets hummed with an incessant jarring monotony jean the hunchback gathered ample stores of hickory nuts walnuts hazelnuts and pink oak acorns indeed the whole population of the village made a great spurt of industry just before the falling of winter and presently when every preparation had been completed for the dreaded cold season m roussillon carried out his long-cherished plan and gave a great party at the river-house after the most successful trading experience of all his life he felt irrepressibly liberal let's have one more roaring good time he said that's what life is for End of chapter 6